this truly phenomenal, <clears throat> I have this truly phenomenal team who has had my back in the biggest way on this retreat. And uh, I've been well enough, as some of you know, to meet in um, one-on-ones or some of the groups, but the voice just isn't maintaining. So I'm gonna see how long I can go. And I have all this backup, my backup singers. <laughs> They're pretty good too, yeah. <laughs> No, they're more than backup. So as we've sat in these um, practice meetings with you and uh, gotten to know you really well, you know, one of the privileges of teaching retreat is um, the depth that we get to see in each of you, the vulnerability, the intimacy, right? Probably in ways that none of you have even seen yourself at times, maybe. And so when we sit together as a group, we often talk about what's needed. What, would, what do we want to talk about tonight? What would be useful? What's helpful? So we talked about that today. It's, it was, I was supposed to do the talk multiple times throughout the retreat, and then each time they picked it up for me, picked it up for me, picked it up for me. Talk about being with what is, you know, like they're exampling that right now. But so here we are tonight, and uh, what are we going to talk about? And so we decided that we would um, do a little, that the four of us <clears throat> would talk about what has been most important to our practice on retreat, you know, and where you are. Because what we heard were multiple different stories. All of you know, somebody, Pam, I think, said 100 different people, 100 different practices. Um, so many of you are in different places, so we thought we'd just share how, how and why we practice and how we do it. <clears throat> okay. It's interesting because one of the reasons I can do this with you right now and not feel my best, right? I'm not bright and sparkly right now. <clears throat> it's because I have a, a really deep faith in my practice. And so that's what I wanna talk about a little bit, um, is what faith looks like in, um, on this path. Because I started, I started as a Catholic, I grew up in a, beautiful Catholic family, very devotional. And I was actually devotional too. I thought Jesus was badass <laughs> and had, you know, anarchist, revolutionary. And I appreciated him turning tables upside down. And, you know, that was important for me as a young person, right? Because that's not what was necessarily taught to me um, through the teachings, but I saw, I saw that. So I grew up as somebody who wanted contemplation, wanted to be devotional, wanted to have some kind of practice. Um, so I started there and then um, went through a lot of teen and early 20s, a lot of pain and angst, a lot of it. I was a homeless person for a while as a young person. Um, 
I got really good at breaking into houses and um, I got really good at not caring about my own body or anybody else's body. And so I lost, I lost my faith. You know, I lost any sort of devotional path and lost everything. Um, but then when I was ready again, because I felt so much loneliness and despair when I was ready again, I was seeking, you know, I was seeking something to um, help me find a way where pain made sense, you know, where suffering made sense. Um, and I, one thing I wasn't doing was finding it externally. You know, I really saw that. And so I tried a bunch of different traditions, but each of these traditions, and it's not to put any traditions down, but each of them, for me, felt like I needed to resource somehow externally or believe somebody else, and I didn't really trust anyone. I didn't, really, I didn't trust myself either. But I heard the teachings of the Dharma. No, I think it, what, what, what sutta is it? I wrote it down because I'm not good at remembering this stuff. Um, and I also can't see. <laughs> so I can't even make it like smooth like that, right? Like I can't be like, oh yeah, I know the Kalama Sutta. <laughs> mm. So the Kalama Sutta points to the Buddha says, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Don't take our word for it. Don't take anybody else's word for it, but trust yourself. Walk the path yourself and see. See what makes sense to you. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I could, I could do that. Because so far, I had been disappointed, right, externally and internally. So I've sat in this room many times as a yogi. And I've suffered in this room many times as a yogi. <laughs> I've been lonely. I've been scared. I've been in deep grief. I've cried a ton. I've been sick. I've, you know, just all of it, all of it in this room. Other rooms too, but this room has held a lot for me. But one thing that happened is when I first heard that Kalama Sutta, when I first heard the teachings, there's something called bright faith, right? Where you kind of go, oh, that makes sense to me. I like that. I can relate to that. Right? There's, all of you have had bright faith or you wouldn't be in here right now. <laughs> You've had that moment of something in these teachings called to you and said, you make sense to me. Right? And I'm going to keep coming back. <clears throat> but bright faith is a little interesting because we don't quite trust it yet. Right, it's, it's bright, it's exciting, it's still a little sparkly. <clears throat> it's kind of like a new relationship, you know. You have to spend some time to really trust it. And then through that bright faith is what kept me coming back. And it wasn't easy, but there was something that I was seeing that made sense. 
And so then what happens is we, I tipped over into what we call verified faith. And it became verified because I started trusting it. The illusion was, was gone that something was going to come from the external. And so verified faith is what kept my booty on the cushion. Because I would note, I started, remember how I said I didn't trust anybody else or myself? I still don't fully trust a lot of external things, but I totally trust myself. Because what I started to see is, oh, I can actually, I can actually sit through that itch. Like, that was the first thing. Like, let's just sit through an itch. Okay, cool. Got that. Check. Can I sit through this loneliness? Okay, loneliness. Not so easy. Can I sit through this fear? Not so easy. But as I kept sitting and I kept learning and trusting myself, that verified faith grew. And then, you know, a teacher would say something in a talk, and I'd be like, yeah, exactly, how did you know? You know, like, what? And then it just, my, the, the verification, the confidence, the, the strength just kept growing. So I'm feeling the weakening happen in my voice. <clears throat> but I just wanted to share with you how, because um, I know some of you, you know, there's the struggle of doubt and this path, and you don't need to. We could, you could actually do this whole retreat without us. We're just, word, we're just words up here. A lot of your process would happen anyway if you just sat and sat and stayed and sat, right? Maybe a little bit of training. I guess I just want to, in this little time I have with you as a whole group, just share um, how important allowing yourself to get to this verified faith place, but only because you have gotten there. We can't do the work for you. So, I'm going to stop now, but thank you for being patient and, you know, I apologize I couldn't be in the room more in this way. Thank you. It's really such an honor to get to support in this way. Yeah, I feel so uh, grateful and um, touched to be sitting here with these beautiful friends and colleagues and siblings on the path. With all of you. So, like Joanna, I'm also a naturally devoted type. So growing up, I was kind of looking for something like 
to be devoted to. And I think I can say I had little tastes of faith along the way, but really first experience was here. I was on a young adults retreat. It was my first retreat. I was in the middle of college and suffering a lot in all kinds of ways. But really from the get-go in this young adults retreat, um, I was full on. I was doing the schedule. I was so inspired, a lot of brightness. Um, I was watching the lizards do push-ups in the summertime. There's a lot of lizards here. And just having these amazing experiences, communing with the lizards and the world here. The rainbow turkeys. Um, and I remember hiking up the hill for the very first time doing the Great Loop. Um, I was hiking up the really steep part. Um, it was hot. And there was this very quiet, I think she had a shaved head maybe, um, yogi coming down. And she had a, a water bottle. And she just very gently offered me her, a sip of her water. And it was, we didn't speak. We didn't even hardly look at each other. It was just this like shared moment on the path. And um, it was such a beautiful moment. I think that it was like, oh, this is the kindness that this practice awakens in us. It's so natural. And I was so touched by that, like that gentle offering. Um, yeah, so I was pretty gung-ho after, like, from that retreat on. I was like, how do I make this my life? How do I do this full-time? And so pretty soon after, a year and a half after that, I graduated from college and went on pilgrimage to India with a whole group of other Tibetan Buddhists. And we were very fortunate. Like our second or third day in the country, we had a, an audience with His Holiness the Karmapa, who is kind of like second in command to the Dalai Lama. He's a really important lineage holder for the Karmakagyu lineage. And so I was the youngest in this group of 20 pilgrims. And the, I had the honor, the, the group had decided I would get to ask the first question, because I was the youngest. But what we did as a group is we compiled all our questions, and then we had a translator who was just reading them from a list. So he didn't know who was asking what question. But my question was really clear because I was so, I was very full of bright faith and uh, so idealistic and like, just what, how do I make this my life? You know, I'm going to ordain, like I just had all these plans. And that was really my question for him was like, it seems to me that the Dharma is beautiful, but it takes a lot to realize it. And so I want to become a nun and live in a monastery and just do this. And so that was my question. <laughs> so the translator asked the question, and it was quite a moment actually, because there were 20 of us sitting on the floor, he was up on this throne, and he looked, it felt like, could be wrong, but it felt like he looked right at me. Like somehow he knew that was me and his penetrating gaze, you know. I was sort of like, whoa. He's like seeing this whole thing. <laughs> Sees everything. It's really, but that was a moment for me. And because I felt like he saw me so clearly, and he answered very directly. He said, you don't have to become a nun. 
to practice the Dharma. You just have to be mindful all the time. <laughs> this is assignment for me. And in that moment, I was like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, no problem. <laughs> yes, yes. I didn't quite know how difficult that would be. But it, but it was a moment of actually this another type of faith, borrowed faith. Because he was really seeing me in that moment and the possibility, the potential, yes, you can be mindful all the time. You don't have to wear special clothes and cut all your hair off. You can do this as you are in your life now. Do this. And that was a real, I felt uplifted. I was like, oh, yeah, me, like this one here can do that. So I've been trying to follow, to do my homework really since then. <laughs> Still trying. So faith is beautiful. It comes in all these ways, all these different forms. But I think what really carries me through is not only trying to be a really good student for His Holiness Karmapa, get an A, um, but it's really this sense of potential and big aspiration, right? We're talking about it feels impossible sometimes with one, many of you one-on-one, -on -one, the impossibility of complete freedom. Do we really feel like that's true for this one here? To be totally free of grief, sorrow, lamentation. So it's a big aspiration. But it, it's big enough to keep me going. And especially in conditions like this, where everything is all set up for awakening to happen. Full, take full advantage of that. These are precious circumstances. And there's a lot of wisdom in the room that got you here sitting here and keeps you coming back again and again. But these days are precious, right? Why would we want to waste any moment? Each moment is an opportunity to be free. So that really like keeps your booty coming back. And these days, after all the momentum that you've built up, very important time to feel the fruits of that practice, to really give it your all. Just give yourself to the practice. That's the most beautiful thing. You know, the, in the Tibetan tradition, there's a lot of this, like prayers, you know, I, I'm practicing on the behalf of everybody. And so that sort of giving yourself over, the surrender to it, that keeps me going for sure. A little story to tell. So Joan Halifax is this wonderful Zen teacher who came to my home, or not my hometown, but my, I was living in Madison, Wisconsin for the past few years, and she came, was on a panel like this one, and uh, she was talking beautifully about something, you know, giving her speech, and then right in the middle of it, she's, she knows my partner, so we were sitting together right in the middle of the room, and she pointed to my partner, and she's like, Craig, what's the most important thing? There's like 400 people in the audience. And he was sort of a student friend of hers. So she's like, what's the most important thing? And he was sort of like, uh, I think he pointed to his heart. He said, this is. She's like, nope, 
And then she started calling on other people. Like, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? And her answer, everybody was like, awareness, pristine awareness. She's like, no, no, no. And her answer was, the most important thing is this moment, right now. So especially at this point in the retreat, when we're like thinking about going home and like counting the days, this moment is the whole world right here. So give it your all. Yeah. And then to end, Toku Oregon Rinpoche, this is my favorite quote in the whole world. Are you ready? Foremost, I would like to tell you that an enlightened essence is present in everyone. It is present in every state, both samsara and nirvana, and in all sentient beings. There is no exception. Experience your Buddha nature. Make it your constant practice, and you will reach enlightenment. In my lifetime, I have known many, many people who attain such an enlightened state. Awakening to enlightenment is not an ancient fable. It is not mythology. It actually does happen. Bring the oral instructions into your own practical experience, and enlightenment is indeed possible. It's not just a fairy tale. So keep going. It's possible. Thank you. Would you all mind joining me in showering Joanne? Uh, I pause on purpose. I just want to hear you say something again. So as we're talking about the present moment, I was actually just very moved by having Joanna's voice in this room. It actually felt as if something was missing. And I'm glad that we all had this, got an opportunity to share and to feel and be with Joanna in that way. And allow Joanna to feel this energy right now, which is maybe uncomfortable. <laughs> and we all have these moments of feeling uncomfortable while on retreat, while in practice. And we've all have taken part in some really deep uncomfortableness and some really deep comfortableness in the in-between in the doubt that may arise and the doubt that has arisen about six seven years ago i sat this retreat and took part in the ceremony 
the New Year's ceremony, wrote down the intention, wrote down what I wanted to let go, did the bonfire, got the protection cord, took a knot for the refuge, took a knot for the precepts, for the intentions, turned to my neighbor, Sangha member, tied it, sat, 108 bells, did the dedication of the merit. Someone up here, it may have been Eugene at the moment, ring three times, have a good night. I was like, great, the retreat's over. <laughs> Ceremony's done. No more left. Then I looked at the uh, schedule and it said, December 27th to January 5th. I said, oh, it's just the first. Okay. Okay. And I sat on my bed for about five minutes going, okay. <laughs> okay. Four more days, okay. laid down, woke up. Maybe that was a dream. Wait a minute. <laughs> Looked at the paper. Now, January 5th. <laughs> yes, okay. And I went into a practice discussion and told the story. I like, what do I do for the next four days? I really, I don't know if I want to be here right now. I, I mean, I want to be here, but I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, I love people cooking for me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love someone else's cleaning the bathrooms on my behalf. <laughs> I don't really have to make my bed. I could, but no one's really checking. So that's all cool. You know, but I have phone calls I want to make. I have people I want to see. I have some beans I need to eat. All right? Like I have these, these other routines that I have. <laughs> so... I may have had this discussion with Eugene, I don't remember. And the mirroring I had was, hmm, and where do you feel that in your body? <laughs> when you want to eat the beans, is that in your stomach? Is that a heartfelt sense? And I was like, yeah, it's a combination of both. <laughs> it's a little bit in my mouth. I'm kind of hungry right now. Didn't eat breakfast. So I'm not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be on our way out. You know, this whole thing. And so it was this beautiful reminder of returning. Beautiful reminder of feeling into the moments. No matter what arises, 
no matter what the mind conjures up. That in actuality, what I ended up remembering and knowing and coming to understand was that the retreat does not end, it shifts form. Pam talked about this arc that we have, and Eugene talked about this arc that we have on retreat. And I've come to understand, we were talking about this a little bit, that every retreat pretty much comes in thirds, essentially. We have that first wave where we're really landing. What is this form of my body that has arrived on this land? Who are these other people that I'm sitting with? What is their energy? How does that sync up with my own energy? And we get used to that the first few days and then that middle part when we're kind of landed, there's this stillness that has settled in. Where am I in all of that? Where's this body in all of that? With these energies that are projecting into the future that has kind of shifted the energy in this hall. What is my attitude with all of that? Where do I feel that? For me, every moment is a mini retreat. And I was tapping into this newfound deep and understanding of the verified faith that Joanna talked about. Being here in community, being here in Sangha, not trying to rush anything. Yet understanding what that rush sensation feels like, not trying to push it away being with what is. It was beautiful to be witnessed. It was beautiful to be mirrored and to be reminded. To be in Sangha and to be in practice with a hundred people And to not to rush away from that. So after leaving that retreat, you know, I've sat a couple of others, and they all change. The arc shifts. The way that this body shows up shifts. My relationship with the mind, the alignment with the mind, heart, body shifts. The understanding, the felt sense, the knowing of all of that. It's been powerful.
I'm with all of you now. And I've had the fortune to meet with some of you. And I've had the fortune to feel all of you in this space. And every single thing that you're going through, everything that is arising is valid. Yet how are we meeting it? How are we taking care of ourselves? Mm -hmm. You are kind of answering that for yourself just now, yeah? get to a point where this stillness, that right there, carries the answer. To allow that right there. That's a form of nourishment. That right there could be a moment where we connect with the earth, we feel the earth. That moment right there is when perhaps we can feel the air. Or the fire element, any warmth or coolness. and water to nourish ourselves. And I bring those forward in this way because the elements have always been deep practice for me. A deep place of support. Especially here on this beautiful sacred land. Feel the earth now. Can you feel the support that is there, that is always there? Thank you so much for your practice. Thank you so much that for all that you have done, are doing, will do, 
and understand that all that doing is you being. I'll do my best to continue being with you. I promise. It's interesting how dukkha can turn into sukha. And I mean, really, the dukkha that Joanna's been dealing with, um, uh, we've all been concerned about, and it is. It's great to have your voice in the room. But also, there's a certain kind of sukha that's come because of the dukkha. And even because we're, we're improvising here together. And that's such a beautiful uh, reality about life itself and practice itself. Is that it, it asks us to come forward and respond to reality as it is. Not our idea about how it should be or what's the right thing. But really what's needed and how can we respond as well as possible. And so it's also, I've just been appreciating hearing everybody's voice tonight and the different flavors of what we're talking about because we didn't know what to do. <laughs> and so this is it. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, you know, and, and I get to learn from everybody. And, and that's one of the beauties about the Dharma is we all can really learn from one another. And so when we were talking about, well, what, you know, where, really what we said is, where are you on the retreat? How can we help you at this point? What, what might be helpful at this phase of the retreat? And, and we said, well, what do, what do we do at this phase of the retreat? And so we're trying to speak to that a little. And, um, and I, for myself, I thought of a few things that I find very helpful at this phase of a retreat. Um, and one is to really connect with why I'm here, you know, at, at it really at any point of a retreat, but especially after a retreat like this that has a certain arc and New Year's is a big deal. You know, whether it's true or not, it's still a big deal. <laughs> and, so, and so how do we keep practicing in a real way even though, like, that's the big thing. Okay, we had New Year's, we had a few drinks, so let's go home, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I know for myself, really connecting f with why am I here? Why do, why do I come to a retreat? And, uh, and it's really because I love the Dharma. 
And so there's something heartfelt that I really pay attention to about what I'm doing here and, and what I believe you're all doing here. There's something you care about that brought you here. And I may, it may not be exactly what I care about, but it doesn't matter because it's what you care about. And that's a heartfelt connection to reality. Whether it's you want to be free or you want to be awake or you want more, more happiness in your life or love or ease or joy or whatever it is, that's really important to not forget what brought you here and then to let that help support you even as we go through the different terrain of the arc of a retreat. And so the other thing that I thought I would say, which is I would talk about discipline, because what I would do at this phase of retreat is get pretty disciplined. And discipline's not a popular word, generally. I mean, maybe it's changed and I'm just old, but when I grew up, I didn't care about discipline at all. It's like discipline always had to do with being disciplined right? Which is not my favorite thing. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't like to be disciplined. I like to do whatever I want to do, you know? And so I, as I taught and I realized discipline was important to me and I, and I knew the value of it, but I didn't know how to talk about it. I looked up the word discipline because um, it brings emotional reactions because it's often related to punishment of some kind. And the original meaning of discipline is to teach, right? Like you become a disciple of something you want to learn. I might have said this already in this retreat because I do mention this now pretty regularly, but discipline and disciple are the same thing. And so if you want to learn how to do one of the arts, you become a disciple of the art. Or if you want to learn how to cook, you become a disciple of cooking. And so, and etymologically, discipline pertaining to the um, to disciple, or um, or um, it means also in to practice or to exercise. And so it's, it had to do originally with instruction imparted to disciples. Like that's, you would partake of a discipline, whether it's a discipline of writing or of acting or of dancing or of any of the arts become a discipline or study becomes a discipline, philosophy or, or biology. It becomes your me medicine, becomes your discipline. And it's the same with practice. It's one of the, this is one of the contemplative disciplines that you can engage in to wake up. And I like to use the word because, um, as was said, what does it mean to give ourselves to the retreat right now? And for me, being really disciplined about doing the practice 24-7, even when I don't know what that means, I start to have the intention, like even now, how are you practicing? 
right? Even while you're listening, are you aware of your body now? Which just means, can you feel it? And can you start to be here as fully as possible in any moment and to be aware? And, and of course, it's, you, you already know it's, it's much easier than they were saying. They were saying it was hard at times, but it's much easier. And that's why it's so difficult, because it's so easy. And so <laughs> I get to have a little Zen side sometimes. So I say things like that, meaning it's so simple that we forget to do it. It, it just means being right here with our body and the heart and our mind. And we don't have to do anything else. Being, and being here means being aware of our body, being aware of our heart, being aware of our mind. And letting there be a sense of ease as the body and heart and mind do their thing, have sensations, have feelings, have thoughts, have states of heart and mind, and we're aware of it. We're connected to it. We're not somewhere else. We're just being here, very simple, and so simple that it's difficult. And so it really helps me to be, to actually think a little about being disciplined. And sometimes I talk about this as having a little bit of a warrior attitude. And that has worked for me. And it doesn't work as well as it used to work. I'm too old to be a warrior all the time. But, 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 I, but I have a little access to it still. I can still, you know, pull a pistol out and shoot it and all that stuff. <laughs> But, but really, I mean, I know how to give it my, <laughs> you know, it's, excuse me, it's kind of a guy thing, so, but, you know. Um, <laughs> this team has laughed too much. I just want you to know that. We have laughed too much on this retreat, it really is. This has been a really good team. <laughs> but, but, um, but really what I mean, it means, oh, I know how to give it my all in a, in a willful way. And sometimes will, will, W-I-L-L, gets undervalued in the Dharma because we're so good at learning how to be open and soft and receptive and you know, relaxed and at ease and, you know, floppy and touchy and feely. And that's all really good, and I know a bit about that, but it's also good to know how to bring your warrior spirit in. And that, that warrior spirit is archetypally part of every spiritual tradition, right? I mean, um, you know, you were saying that about Jesus turning over the tables. That's warrior spirit. And what was his whole message? Love thy neighbor. And so it's not in conflict with the heartfulness and the beauty of our hearts, but it means we know how to use what's called the sword of Manjushri in Buddhism. And it's the sword that helps cut through greed, hatred, and delusion that cuts through our ignorance, our ignoring of what's real. And it means it's part of the sword that allows us to really 
give our all to practice, even when we part of our mind thinks, oh, come on, I'm done with it. I want to go home. I've had enough. Yeah, well, guess what? You're going to go home. And believe me, you might think, I wish I was back on retreat about two hours after you got home. And <laughs> I'm, I appreciate the laughter because you know it's true, you know. And, uh, and really, I'll just say one last thing. I, just my, personally, I haven't been on a retreat in a while. And... Uh, I'm missing it and really a little bit jealous of you all. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, oh, it's a great opportunity, as everybody has said. So don't, as Pam was saying early this morning, don't leave. This is it. This is your life right now. And if you need a little help with that, I'll give you a little practice you can do, which we do when we teach uh, Maranasati, mindfulness of death. Like when you sit, you can take your breath and you can also have this reflection, this could be my last breath. And what's interesting about that kind of practice is it's true, it could be, and one never actually knows. And so it sometimes helps rouse the samvega that I'm pointing at when I talk about warrior spirit. Samvega is translated, it's Pali word, and it's translated as a kind of spiritual urgency. Like, this is it. And one doesn't know if one will ever be back here. Any of us. And I don't care if you're, if you're 80 or if you're 20. You don't know what's going to happen. So... Why not give it your all now? Because this is it. And and I'm going to end there. Thank you. So we'll just bring it full circle back here. And I'm going to share my favorite quote ever, ever. (laughs) This has helped me a lot on retreat. You know, a lot of these things that we share with you aren't just because it's fun to say. It's because they're also meaningful to us and have helped us in some way. So this is one that has really helped me. As awakening increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our hearts a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings. We could never have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter, and we are filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort 
that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. And that was written in the 17th century by Francois Fendon. And so as this awareness arises, and the word awareness is even used in here, we actually start to see so much more clearly. And that can be scary sometimes. You know, we see the world more clearly. We see our hearts more clearly, our minds more clearly. But this is what we're doing. This is, this is, the, this is the point. This is the truth. We're opening our eyes. A lot of people walk around with their eyes closed. So, not as many people are as radical as you. I have one um, announcement. And stay in your body while I say it. <laughs> because uh, one-on-one meetings and group meetings are officially, today was the last day. If you feel like you are in need, in need, not just you feel like chatting or you like one of us or you want to ask us questions, because we'll share a lot about going home and all of those things are going to come in the retreat. Right? We, we will share so much about resources and going home. That will come. Um, So if tomorrow you need to see a teacher, we are available for sign-ups. And and those might already be up. They're not up. Okay, good. (laughs) But watch the bum rushing. You know, watch the getting into the list and getting your name on just because it feels like you might want it. Um, so really pay attention to the need of, of seeing a teacher. And we will have a sign up, sign-ups tomorrow, um, all of us, right? Right. We don't have enough room to see everybody. Right, so that's, that's why um, if you really feel the need. And like I said, there's more coming. There's still more days. There's still more information. There's still more dharma. Um, Yeah, that's it. So take this evening practice, stay on the retreat, your heart and mind, um, and your body. Because Eugene's not wrong. <laughs> it was sort of like, do you remember going to camp? And your parents would drop you off, and I'm like, and then when they would come to pick you up, you're like, who are you, right? You don't want to go home. I don't know if you felt the same as me, but it was that moment of, you know, there's so much beauty that's happened here. So let's stay together. Let's practice together. And we'll see what the 9 o'clock said. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.